What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Girl on the Go of the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of a point, because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Go of the podcast. I might need a fact check on this, but I was told today that Mercury is retrograde. Madison, Have you heard this? Okay. So I don't know if it's specifically today. Because <laughs> I feel it. I'm pretty sure it is. The But like there was something weird going on like the last two weeks going up to this. Like every single one of my friends has been talking about where like just everything feels like a little off, like a little tense, like nothing in particular, just like everything's stressful, like nothing's working like the classic Mercury and retrograde situations. And I had Googled it. I don't remember it. It's exactly today, but it was like coming up in December. So, and I'm also like PMSing and it's just, it's all happening at once for me. And it's also like the last week of work for me before the holiday break. So it's just like 1001 things going awry that I'm just like, my head's about to explode. So I don't know if anyone else is feeling that, but one thing we love to do here at Girl on the Gov is complain. And it's just important to make space. It's important to make space. It's, this is the space for it. It's a passion project. It's a side hustle. Maybe mm-hmm. honestly, it's a main event because yeah. I don't know what we would do without it. I just remember one year, this is like pre-ass knowing each other. One of my best friends and I were, she's like my old roommate back then. I don't think you've met her. But anyways, she was like, she'd so about like having a New Year's resolution riddle. I can't even say that resolution, which is so not my vibe. But I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, fine. What are we going to do for this? And she was like, we are not going to complain in whatever year it was. And I was like, it's not possible. It's, it's not, possible. not possible. She was like, okay, but like, what if it's only complaining about things that are constructive to complain about? I was like, all complaining is <laughs> constructive. I don't think we lasted 24 hours. I definitely yeah. didn't. She might have. She's like, she's better at like the, I have a goal and I'm going to like achieve the goal. Mm. I'm like, oh, there's a goal. Let me railroad myself 10 different ways before I even get anywhere near that goal. Yeah. No, it's just been a lot. Today I was telling you I was like going to go work outside of the office and I just like didn't go because I couldn't find an outfit. And then like I missed the like four buses I could have taken to get there. And it's just like, yeah, you're just just not going. I need to rest. I'm exhausted. And all the PMS symptoms are in full action. And it's just 
it's just that time. Look, it's a safe space for venting, complaining, all the things. That's what we'll say. It's maybe not a safe space for George Santos, but it is for complaining. So well, take that. It is according to last episode because we're trying to get him on the show. Don't forget. Oh, lest we I not did forget, forget about the goal. See if that Zewi episode is that or not. I should have looked at that for. Oh my first, god, I saw but... the like promo TikTok and was dying or Instagram or something. And she was like, it was a picture of them, and he was like holding her Birkin. She was yep. like, he's our. He already stole my Birkin. What the fuck? <laughs> Obsessed. I but know. how was DC? It was so fun. I like did not want to leave at all whatsoever. It is such a just like it is its own universe. Like mm-hmm. it does not like nowhere else in the world like operates like DC. And I find it fascinating. But you win on the footwear predicament of mm. whatever year as we're keeping. I won't you know, win until safe. you until you ride a bike. Okay, like first of all, at one of the events I was at, <laughs> biking did come up because of the complaints and whatever. See, I just, I said, fuck it. And I just walked barefoot at one point in between two places involved in one of the events I was at, mm-hmm. which I'm sure was the classiest, most DC thing. That, you do when you texted me that you did that, I was like, mm. <laughs> it also didn't I, help. I there think this- DC specifically is a place where like, like that just like doesn't, does, does not, not fly. <laughs> I just did not like you can get away with it in like San Diego. Like everyone's barefoot there. New York, everyone's weird. As if like maybe honestly, you could get away with it. You can get away with a lot of shit here too. But like DC, yeah, it's not the place. Okay, this is. Let me just state my case. Okay, so this is now this is now courtroom. So basically, as per usual, I think in the class universe, I can walk anywhere. I can. I can walk anywhere. It does not matter the distance or the shoe. I got this. And I stupidly wore a new pair of boots during like my meetings throughout the day. And I got like a blister on one foot. Okay. Actually, four specifically. And then on the other shoe, on the other foot, it was fine. But then I was compensating and I pretty much twisted my ankle in that fucking boot. So I've got a busted up ankle. I've got like a foot with like so many. Oh, oh, to make things worse, I have a cut on my hand, a broken nail, an orange hand with white thumb it was like just one of those things i could not catch a fucking like aesthetic break it's ridiculous like talking to a bunch of climate bros that are also from new york and i just the problem that's like my not that the climate bro specifically it was like my comfort zone but a bunch of dudes like fratty dudes from new york totally <laughs> my comfort zone didn't even think to even flinch was like talking to them trying to walk i was like f- like flailing and i'm like a good heels walker so you know it's bad if like i like can't keep the shoes on right and i just said fuck it and i like took them off, walked it. It was only like five feet. Oh, and then this was weird for all the things. So the like second part of this one event is at this place called Succotosh, which is a restaurant in DC. And I'm looking at it and I was like, oh my God, Succotosh, Succotosh, like whatever. I'm looking around and like, it kind of feels familiar, but like couldn't place it until this morning. I did the design PR on this restaurant. Like I submitted to like all these magazine things. I was like, oh my God. what is with this ceiling? Like something about it. Like <laughs> couldn't place it. it took Small me 24 world, hours. Man. So weird. So freaking weird. Well, but it was, it was cool. And there's some exciting content coming from it, isn't there? There is, which stay tuned, guys. I am dead. So I'm going to be putting up like the video stuff tomorrow when I like have half a brain. But there's going to be lots of video content. Some, I got like one or two little man on the street interviews I did. So we have two people, two state representatives that are going to be coming on the show in January that are a part of Future Caucus, which is like one of the things I was there with. And they are so awesome, you guys. Like, it kind of like, I don't know, like, you know, I'm not a sap, but like, call me inspired. 
I literally like they actually like give me like hope for humanity. Go fucking figure. That's rare. I know. I know. That's like rare. that's when you when you Samantha know I'm never giving... has hope. <laughs> she never has positivity. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> no, but seriously. So basically what they do, and we'll obviously get so into it on like that particular episode come January. See, this week I subscribe. Gotta subscribe before we go on our holiday break because which side note, all the newsletters will still be going throughout January and all that. We're just taking a little like the holiday podcast break. Anyways, long long story short is they basically have created a space in which and caucuses where state and also federal lawmakers can come together across the aisle and actually find solutions and talk to each other and like they actually fucking work together and pass legislation and like and it's all like young lawmakers it's gen z's and millennials and seniors and like it's really cool it's not across all issue areas it's like abortion and guns are not a part of like that conversation but what i find like which is classic but where i do find important to like know is like just because you can't make progress on one issue with a rep across the aisle why do all the other issues have to suffer in the meantime like you have to keep going you have to and you're not going to also make any progress on those other two issues if you don't have the relationships across the aisle to try and like talk some stuff you may never agree you may never vote the same but i just think that the spaces that they're creating are so key especially in these state legislatures which are so underrated and critically important and it's cool to see the federal government can take a lesson from for sure no, seriously. But there's 33 caucuses right now, 33 states involved. They're adding more. But the caucus that we're going to have two representatives from is Vermont. And one of the, like, I feel like funniest pieces of, like, the content that I'm just obsessed with. So I was trying, we were trying to do some, like, man on the street type interviews, but it was, like, a little loud and, like, the space we were in. So we, like, pivoted and decided to take some candid pics. And it's me and this Republican rep from Vermont. And, like, you know, like, a classic like dad like so nice like you're gonna love chatting with him like it was, i chatted public education with him for quite some time because i had my little little elementary school stint in vermont so i had a lot to a lot to say a lot to say. <laughs> and anyways it's literally like we took this like a 10 second video of me instructing him how to like do a candidate i was like think you're at a coffee shop you're talking with your friends like oh you're God. laughing the jokes are cr- like it is like the most I can't like find like the right words to put to it, but I was lol. That's so why high. we also consult candidates and electives yeah. on how like, is this our to ad? Use social media. <laughs> Hashtag viral, go sign up. Please. That's hilarious and very precious. And I'm excited to have our first ever Republican on the show. <laughs> no, me too. It's it's going to be cool. I'm like I'm genuinely like really excited. Like I'm always excited for like all of our guests and like episodes, but this one I think is gonna be really cool. And he was such a gem, such a, as, as the Toasty Girls would say, a P-Jam or P-Jam. 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 Precious gem of a man. Yes. Well, either way, shall we We introduce our guests? Okay. So this is, I know we just talked about another episode that we're doing, but this episode is also going fucking great. It's baller. And it's a topic that we literally have never covered and I'm so glad that we're covering it because so many questions. So many questions. We're talking about big hospital and like the hospital lobby and price transparency. Mm-hmm. Like when you go into a hospital and you're, you need a procedure and they like don't tell you like how much it is in advance or mm-hmm. doctors, all that. We are talking about like why that is, what changes are like 
being made to sort of change that game and make sure that like there's actual like transparency with customers, aka literally all of us. So we brought in Sophia Tripoli, who's the senior director of health policy at Families USA to have this conversation, which literally this is like her focus area expert du jour. So perfection, perfection, perfection. So let's fucking get into it. Without further ado, here's Sophia. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. If you work in the political space, listen up. Here at Girl on the Gov, we have built our whole business around effectively marketing political messaging through digital media. And we want to help you do the same. We have a full digital media consulting menu these days tailored specifically to the political space. Number one, hashtag viral. It is our paid social media newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Tuesday. If you've ever thought uh, this meeting could have been an email, this newsletter is for you. We give basics to best practices, platform updates, and the content ideas you need to go hashtag viral. And for offering number two, if you want some one-on-one face-to-face attention, we offer that too. We provide social media audits and consulting to help you achieve the conversions and engagement you've been hoping for from your social media content. And number three, in our newest edition, Podcast Consulting, we are the minds behind this gorgeous political podcast for young voters that we've been running for two and a half years now. So we know a thing or two about how not only to get a podcast off the ground, but how to grow an audience. We provide podcast consulting for anyone trying to get their podcast started or provide podcast audits for those who have started their pod but want to see it take off. Podcasting is a great new in-house digital media marketing tool and a great way for any candidate elected or org to amplify their work and their voice. So head to girlonthegov.com slash consulting to learn more about our services and to sign up for hashtag viral to start slaying the beast that is digital media. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that, all promising to fix my split ends and my dry skin and all of the things. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. And your formula literally couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of pros custom hair care and skin care is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals, and they get personal. Pros covers everything from diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They even asked me about, you know, where I live, the water hardiness that I have coming from my shower, UV index, all of the things. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing pre-mixed, nothing off the shelf. And I know from experience, one-of-a-kind formulas equal one-in-a-million results. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed that my hair is definitely fuller. I have thinner hair that just like will not hold a curl or stay voluminous. And ever since using pros, that has changed. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. 
Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering an exclusive trial offer. So you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash girl and gov. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash G-I-R-L-A-N-D-G-O-V for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash girl and gov. All right, well, we have got to get into it. You are the Senior Director of Health Policy at Families USA. Those that might not be as familiar with the organization and what you guys do, can you give us the lay of the land? You know, what do you guys do? What's the focus? All that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk about some issue areas that are very near and dear to my heart and to the organization's heart. Families USA is a national nonpartisan organization working on behalf of all people across the United States to ensure that every person has high quality, affordable health care and improved health that they deserve. And our work is driven by four major focus areas. We work on healthcare value, so making sure that healthcare is affordable and that it's high quality, health equity, healthcare coverage, and bringing forward people's experience with the healthcare system. And at the core of what we do, our work is really driven by public policy analysis that's rooted in experiences in Congress and the federal administration, movement building and advocacy in collaboration with partners so that we can actually advance pro-consumer policies or defend against policies that are not so pro-consumer. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, the healthcare system is vast, right? And there's like so many different corners of it, but like we want to talk about hospitals specifically today. So can you kind of give us the current landscape around hospitals and like financial health and kind of what we're seeing in terms of hospitals opening, closing, all the things? Yes, absolutely. Well, right now we are in the midst of a healthcare affordability and quality crisis. We know that nearly half Americans can't afford to see the doctor when they need to because of costs. Almost one third of Americans say that the cost of medical care actually interferes with their ability to secure basic needs like paying for rent or buying groceries. And we have 100 million people in this country who are in medical debt. At the core of this crisis um, is really driven by decades of unchecked consolidation in the healthcare sector, particularly among hospitals. That's really resulted in this really big shift in the role of hospitals in our communities. They are no longer these community-based entities that are staffed by volunteers and funded by donations like they were nearly 60 years ago, but instead they've become these mega large healthcare corporations that are focused on profit maximization and a business model that's really focused on two things. The first is buying up competition so they can gain more market power in order to increase healthcare prices year after year. And the second part of the business model is about generating high numbers of highest priced services. And what this looks like in hospital pricing is that hospital prices have actually really increased pretty rapidly over the last several decades. Since 1990, hospital prices have grown 600%. Just since 2015, we've seen those prices increase 31% nationally. Hospital, the hospital sector now accounts for one third of US healthcare spending and hospital prices are growing four times faster than workers' paychecks. And these prices are not just high, they really vary substantially across the country. 
For example, an MRI in a health system in Wisconsin can cost anywhere from $1,000 to $4,000, just depending on which insurance coverage you might have, four times more, depending on the insurance. Or if you take a knee replacement across the country, very common service for seniors in our country, the average price of a, of a knee replacement can be uh, $21,000 in Tucson, Arizona, or more than $60,000 in Sacramento, California. And this is particularly problematic for the American families because these higher prices are experienced in the forms of higher healthcare premiums every single year, higher cost sharing, higher deductibles, higher out-of-pocket costs for American families. So these prices are not just are not the only driver of the of the United States healthcare affordability crisis, but is definitely one of the major drivers right now. And these higher prices we're seeing drive up healthcare premiums and making it really difficult for Americans to afford their healthcare. Yeah, and I'm so curious about the consolidation element of this whole thing. Like, why are we seeing hospitals or also have seen hospitals consolidate? Like, why does this benefit them? It's a great question. So we've seen a pretty steady increase in consolidation over the last several decades in the healthcare system. Really dates back to the 1990s after the Clinton administration, President Clinton had his attempts at health reform, which failed in the early 1990s. The healthcare system was in the midst of this shift to what's called managed care in the late 1990s, and hospitals and providers quickly turned to consolidation as a way to help manage financial financial risk and to increase leverage in their contract negotiations with managed care organizations. And according to the American Hospital Senate Association, during that time, there were a significant number of hospital mergers that occurred in the late 1990s, and that has steadily increased to now what we see in in today's markets, we've got 90% of U.S. healthcare markets that are considered heavily consolidated. That means that those markets have virtually no competition. So those big hospital corporations are really in a position where they can set any healthcare price they want without any sort of intervention to say, hey, that's that's actually not really a fair price. That's crazy. Well, for some background too, can you kind of tell us the difference between for-profit and nonprofit hospitals? Yes, absolutely. So in the simplest terms, for-profit hospitals are those that are investor-owned and they are motivated to make profit for their holders. That's for-profit. Now, when it comes to nonprofits under federal tax law, nonprofit hospital corporations are actually granted tax-exempt status. And it's premised on the assumption that they're providing a community benefit. So by definition, under federal law, tax law, tax-exempt hospitals are not allowed to generate and distribute profits. And in exchange, their tax-exempt status protects billions of dollars in revenue for these, these institutions. Now, really important to note that the Affordable Care Act included some new requirements for tax-exempt hospitals to actually report community need and had some limit and to limit some of the charges and billing. But for many nonprofits, they continue to charge exorbitant prices for the services, and they're putting a lot of families on paid medical debt and collections and investing in new services and technologies that expand their revenue instead of actually meeting their community benefit. And there's a lot of data to, to talk through and sort of exemplify what that looks like. But just to give you this one point, more than 80% of nonprofit hospitals and healthcare system spend less on charity care and community investment than the amount they receive through their tax breaks as nonprofit institutions. So it's a really big um, distinction between the nonprofit and the for-profit systems. Yeah. 
And I'm really curious about the not-for-profits or non-profit hospitals. Like, how do they get away with keeping this tax-exempt status? Like, it kind of reminds me of thinking about churches. And then you see, like, at Christmas time, like, literally, like, performances that are bigger and more expensive than what you see on Broadway. And you're like, wait a second. Where, like, how is this tax-exempt? And so, same question here. You know, it just, it seems so fishy to me. Well, I think, you know... In any sort of, there's always like legal interpretations of the language. And I think one of the areas of advocacy that Families USA and a lot of partners who are working in this space have been working on is trying to sharpen some of the definitions that are written in sort of the legal statute that uh, for tax law about what does it actually mean to meet a, a community benefit. And there's, a you know, and to close some of the loopholes in the way that language is written so that it's very clear that, you know, what the requirements are. And I think the other point to say is the special special interests in the hospital sector are very powerful and very well-resourced. And so a lot of money is spent every year to preserve the status quo of the hospital business interest because it is generating so much uh, revenue or operating margins for shareholders if it's in the for-profit sector and in the nonprofit sector is creating a lot of business revenue for for those institutions. So there's a lot of vested interest in trying to preserve the business, the status quo of the business interests. Yeah. I also had a question about the for-profit, just the shareholders. Like what is, who are those people usually who kind of backs for-profit hospitals? One of the things that we're seeing growing and like popping up and and trending more is around sort of like angel investors and um, private equity firms, which we're seeing a lot of increase in private equity firms in the healthcare sector. And it's really, yeah. And it's really in this like profit maximization, like cutting costs, short Mm -hmm. time horizon business opportunity that they're seeing uh, a lot of profit opportunity and coming in, buying up a hospital or system, cutting costs, stopping, you know, eliminating services. Like we're seeing a lot of reporting around cutting back on maternal health services and, and all that type of stuff. Um, which of course has really negative consequences yeah. for the communities that they're serving, particularly in rural areas where there are no other service options. And then laying workers off to cut costs, cutting expenses, and then in you know five to seven years reselling for the profit. And so we're seeing a lot more private equity backed firms getting into the healthcare sector and sort of that business model. Wow. Yeah, it's always creepy seeing that business model like seen it across other industries and it usually never works. And yet every VC and every PE firm. Yeah, totally. It's like, okay, guys, like how many of your businesses have literally done bankruptcy like chapter 11 and we're still doing this and now we're putting it towards healthcare? (laughs) I can't. Anyways, the audacity of men, which I'm going to really blame that (laughs) one on. It just feels right. But anyways, in terms of the pricing that these schmucks come up with, how do they come up with it? Like, what is there like a basis, like a, a guidebook that they're like, okay, like these are, you know, this is where the prices come from. What's the deal with that? Sure. It's a great question. So for public healthcare programs, so for Medicare, for example, the federal government actually establishes what the prices for services are. There's a very technical methodology that they use to, to determine Um, what should the price for a particular service be? Now, there's a lot of criticism about whether that's the best methodology and can it be improved, and there are flaws. But that's sort of the Medicare sets uh, a a price. Um, And then because Medicare 
uh, is Medicare and the, it's such a big program and it's the federal government, it often establishes the benchmark of what is then paid across the healthcare system. So in for Medicaid services, and then also into what we refer to as like the commercial market, where we see people who rely on employer-sponsored insurance and are in the exchanges and all that type of stuff. So for, for people who are getting Medicare, the federal government is setting the price and they're paying, you know, based on the proportion of per premiums, et cetera. But for people who are in the private market, which is like 176 million Americans who rely on the employer-sponsored insurance and the exchanges and the private market for health insurance, prices are set uh, based on competition or the lack of competition in the healthcare market. So what I mean by that is that we've seen, basically we've seen insurance companies and healthcare providers, they take the Medicare price and they negotiate based off of that. Sometimes it's a percentage of Medicare. But what really comes down to what the ultimate price is, is based on market power. So we've seen as hospitals have been consolidating and gaining market power, it really helps them gain leverage over the negotiations with insurers, who, by the way, are also consolidating and trying to have enough power. And it's all about the negotiations about who can get a better price, who can have more covered lives, who can control the information. And it gives them the competitive edge over price. What that dynamic, which is often like in health economics is referred to as like a bilateral monopoly. That dynamic is what sets the price for healthcare services. Now those prices in some markets are three, 400, 500% of what Medicare pays. And it's only based on, purely based on consolidation. How much market power does that entity have and their ability to command the higher price? That's it. It's not higher quality care. And in fact, in a lot of cases, it's the same quality or worse quality or it's an MRI and you, that's the difference between like a $500 MRI and a $4,000 MRI. It's just market power that's that's commanding that price. And then I think what's important to say about these prices is that they're not public. Nobody actually knows what they are. These prices are buried in contract terms and legalese and it's con- they're considered proprietary information. So we actually don't know what the underlying healthcare price of the service is. All we know is what we end up paying which is based on what type of insurance you have and what your you know your premiums are and your out-of-pocket expenses are based on your insurance coverage. Or if you're uninsured, you're just getting a bill and you don't actually know what the real price of that service is. You're just paying whatever the hospital tells you you have to pay. Yeah. It's so to me, crazy. I the whole thing's so crazy and that like like you think of like anything mm-hmm. else, like you go to the market, there's a price like on the apples, you go to the market down the street yeah. and you're like, oh, that's a better price. Like you can fairly see. What I'm like so confused of too is like, you know how like with certain businesses, like if they don't advertise properly, like it's misleading, you can like sue. Like how like McDonald's, for example, or I think it's McDonald's, one of the fast food ones recently got sued because their like burger wasn't like as big as it looked in the like advertising image. And so I'm like kind of confused in the essence of like, how are those lawsuits not hitting hospitals? Because how are you not able to share what the product is and the price? Like, how is that legal to just like be like, eh, guess again, you'll find out when you find out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really, it's a really great question. I mean, you as individuals, you can try to bring lawsuit, but you know, these are, you have to have a lot of resources to be able to yeah. go to toe to toe with, with these multi-million billion dollar uh, corporations who are going to put everything into keeping those prices hidden. It's part of their business model they're able to command such high prices because we actually can't really pinpoint exactly what the price difference is in. So for a lot of policymakers, they're like, well, we don't know. 
but there is an awakening to it. And I will say like a lot of this comes to some of the work that we've been doing around what's called hospital, you know, price transparency. And there are these two regulations that were implemented under the Trump administration, actually. Um, And what they did is they, for the first time in history, they required health plans and hospitals to actually disclose what the underlying price of a healthcare service is. And over the last several years is that those regulations have been implemented. We have seen uh, hospitals pull out all the works to try to, to try to keep the prices hidden. And so there's a really huge national effort going on. And there's a lot of major legislation in Congress that that's bipartisan Republicans and Democrats coming together because they're, they're starting to come to the same conclusions that you guys just came to, which is like how this is like the, one of the only sectors in the U S economy that, we actually don't know what the price of something is until we get a service and we get billed. It's outrageous. You know, it's, it's completely outrageous. outrageous. And for hospitals in particular, you guys know if you've gone in and you've had, you had to get any, any into the emergency department and you have to go into any hospital, get service for a family member or yourself, you have to sign on the dotted line. I'm going to pay whatever the bill is that you send me. So if the hospitals are going to make you sign on the dotted line, we have to pay any bill at the very least legally, they need to be able to tell us what the price for that service is before we have to sign. And that gives consumers a lot stronger legal case that they can actually bring for, to lawsuit if we could get some of that, some of those requirements put into law. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's what I was going to say too. Cause it's like, if you're going in for an MRI, like that's something maybe it's more planned and you don't have to like, it's on emergency service. So like right. that should for sure be like a set price. That's right. When an emergency situation, that's the same thing though, but it's like, okay, now I'm going to go in. I like literally have to get this or else potentially I could die, but I don't know what it's going to cost. But like, I can see how a hospital would be like, well, we don't know what we're going to like need to do for you or whatever, but it's just so crazy, all of it. And that makes me curious too, when you talk about like bipartisan legislation, also shout out Trump. I don't know (laughs) for that, for that moment, but what type of legislation is pending as far as like pricing transparency? Like, what are we looking at for solutions? Yeah, it's a great question. So yes, the Trump administration <laughs> on healthcare, Families USA, we often were not on the same side of the Trump administration on on many issues. Um, but mm-hmm. on this particular issue, um, it was an important step forward. The Biden administration has continued working to implement um, those regulations. But obviously, we're seeing such low compliance from hospitals. They're playing a lot of games. So we've been doing a lot of work with partners to get members of Congress paying attention and understanding why this information is so important. So over the last you know, year plus, we've seen a really, really strong bipartisan effort from members, from Congress members on the House in particular, but some folks on the Senate side as well, who have made it their mission to try to get hospital price transparency codified into statutes, which just becomes the law of the land. On the House side, the most important legislation to lift up is the Lower Cost, More Transparency Act. It's bipartisan legislation. Uh, you know, the various committees worked on their own iteration of it and came together to, to agree on this sort of package. And it's ready to come to the to a, a vote on the House floor. And so we're working really hard to get the new Speaker of the House and the committee leadership to 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 do exactly that. On the Senate side, the price transparency has been a little bit of a harder uphill battle to make the case. And so we've got a few champions on the Senate side, but we continue to make the case around price transparency and why it's so important for the American people to actually understand what healthcare prices are before before they get the bill. 
Totally. I just feel like the hospital system just feels like the modern day mob. Like that's <laughs> that's just yes. the vibe I get, which say a lot of But in terms of the people behind the scenes, big hospital, as like we refer to it, a girl of the gov, who are those people? Who are the lobbyists? Like what are the orgs that are trying to say, oh, no, no, no. Like, let's keep this up and shady. Who are those people? <laughs> up and shady. Yeah, I love it. Yes, uh, I do too. Okay, so I think like the biggest the biggest one to met note is the American Hospital Association. They're definitely like the big the big muscle, you know, lobbying for hospital business interests and to preserve the status quo. They serve you know over six thousand hospital and healthcare systems and networks and across the country, and they they spend a lot of money on on you know, lobbying for, for the hospital sector. But then there's also other like hospitals, so other types of associations that represent hospitals, the Federation of American Hospitals. Um, we see also individual health systems and hospital systems doing their own lobbying, like HCA, uh, for example, Inc., which is like a, it's a huge system. It's got nearly 2000 hospitals across 20 states in the United States. And then it's also got some hospitals over in the UK Tenet Health is a huge healthcare system. The Greater New York Hospital Association. So then we see like state hospital associations also advocating and lobbying on behalf of the hospital business interests in their states to their local representatives at the state level, but then also to their members of Congress in here in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. What? Okay. So what is, I think I know the answer, but like, what is the main goal of these lobbyists? Like, is it is it purely just like maximize profits or are there kind of other... I guess priorities kind of big hospital lobbyists have. I mean, I think they they have a ton of pol- you know, every hospital association and they they publish this and the individual organizations do too. They have a lot of different policy issue areas that they're advocating for in lobbying on behalf of around, you know, hospital the hospital sector. I think we would argue that at the core of a lot, maybe not all, but at many of those policy priorities are around preserving this this business model, allowing hospitals to continue to consolidate so they can increase prices, and then just allowing hospitals to generate as many high price services as they possibly can. But not all of them, right? There are some other issue areas that the hospital associations have been critically important for, like expand the fight to extend Medicaid for individuals who rely on Medicaid coverage, low-income individuals. Hospitals associations were champions for that. You know, extending healthcare coverage has been an important priority of of the hospital association, and we fought hand in hand um, with them on some of those issues as, as well. Totally, it makes sense, especially just sort of seeing how some of these rural states or even more red states, like they're not accepting the money, like the federal money, and then it's just sitting there. And the hospitals rely on it, especially in rural areas. So it's like I, I see how like sometimes like the lines get blurred between the parties and sort of odd bedfellows, if you will, of, yeah, you know, you might be aligned on one issue and not on another. And I'm curious, like from that dynamic, like what the relationships are like, like, how do you guys not fill each other? Like that, <laughs> this is the real question. So I think, you know, one of the real privileges of working at Families USA is that we're an organization that's not beholden to any special interest or any political party. Um, we really just get to show up and fight for what is the best thing for the families in this country every single day. And sometimes that means we're hand in hand with the hospital association. Sometimes that means we're pointing our, you know, we're taking on the big drug companies. 
Sometimes that means we're working with Republicans or Democrats. We really, you know, the way that we've, we have success on our issue areas is we figure out what partners do we need at the table to be able to mm-hmm. advance any issue area forward that's important for the American people. And sometimes it really does mean bringing together string bed, strange bedfellows. Sometimes mm-hmm. it does mean we're fighting against the Trump administration, against imposing work requirements in the Medicaid program, but we're supporting the work they're doing on hospital price transparency. So it's we have to be very sort of nuanced and um, like policy ninjas is sometimes how we, how we joke around about it at work. I love policy ninjas. We will be using that moving forward for sure. <laughs> well, how can people kind of get involved, but also kind of help push change on a lot of these topics? I think um, healthcare is many, many, many people's like first or top priorities and issue areas. So just curious, kind of from your perspective, what's the best way to push for change and to kind of tackle this big monster, but also to like get involved with you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the most important thing to do, there's a few. I think the first one is if you're hearing this and you're fired up about this issue, contact your local member of Congress and let them know how much, how important it is to make sure that we have price transparency in healthcare. So that's the first thing. I would say the second thing is if you have a story and you have a story from yourself or a family member or a neighbor or a loved one that has, had a rough go at it or has an experience that could help illuminate what this looks like um, for people's lives. Famous USA has a storytelling program and encourage you to, you know, reach out to us on our website and we can get you connected if you're interested in sharing your story. And that's so important because sometimes these policy issue areas are really wonky and for policymakers in in particular, they can sort of, we can all sort of forget, well, what is the real world impact of this on somebody's life? And so being able to tell a story of, I literally could not pay that medical bill and put food on the table to feed my family. That's a powerful story that every policy needs to hear every single day to remind them about why they hold their, their job in office and the mm-hmm. role that they have in, in meeting the needs of their constituents. And then the third thing is families is running. We've got a lot of different ways you can get involved. Probably the most, the fastest and most expeditious way is to go to a campaign website that we're running right now. It's an effort to get some of these pieces of legislation that Congress are considering, this particular this House legislation that I referred to, the Lower Cost, More Transparency Act, enacted into law. And folks can go to www.samepriceSameService.com. It's all, I'm sorry, .org. It's all one word. And there's a take action button. Folks can click on it. It helps you send a letter right to your member of Congress. And that tells them to get price transparency done and get some other really important pieces of legislation for for consumers done on healthcare this year. Well, we love an action item. That is for sure. Uh, Well, thank you so much for walking us through some of the nuances of this issue and players and all of that. For closing notes, where can people find you guys? How can people sort of follow along? What are all the plugs? Yes, I was actually, I was preparing for you guys to ask me that. So you guys can... (laughs) Uh, Families USA is literally www.famoususaoneword.org. Folks can send me an email at S-T-R-I-P-O-L-I. That's S Tripoli at famoususa.org. And we can get you guys looped into whether you want to tell a story or whether you want to just have a, a chat about something. But those are the two best ways to to get in contact with us. Amazing. All right. Yay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Yeah. Thank you guys Thank for you. having me and really appreciate you taking the time to, to, to walk through something that's kind of wonky, but really important to making sure that we can make healthcare affordable for everyone. Totally. Totally.